Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt here with Bev Canaris, and we just got a we just the phone just beeped, so we'll turn that off. But anyways, um, today we're doing another testimony, and I'm excited for this one. I'll kind of share how I had the idea to do this, and then I'll basically just pass it over to you, Bev, and you can share your testimony. But my aunt has a podcast, and like last week. Bev was on the podcast sharing some of her testimony, and I was like, this is an amazing testimony. I want more people to hear it. So I was like, Bev, you got to come on Optive. And she's like, let's do it. So, Bev, do you want to tell people you know, who you are and where you're from and you know, what do you do for work or whatever, that kind of thing? All right, just the basic bio. Yeah, basic bio. All right. Um, Beverly Canaris. Uh, I grew up in South Dakota in a small town and um, moved here right after graduating from high school and met my husband and married at age 20. Three children, all married now, and I have 10 grandchildren. So that's a lot of fun in my mm-hmm. life right yeah. there. <laughs> awesome. And right now I'm, I'm also doing a podcast called She Is Becoming, and I do that with a 23-year-old. It's a multi-generational uh, podcast. And I'm also doing, I do a monthly radio broadcast on Faith Radio, mm-hmm. as well as doing some teaching and mentoring in within my church. Nice. Yeah. A lot so I'm of busy. Stuff. Yeah. Every day there's something, and, and yeah. I like it. I yeah. like that. I really do. For 30 years, I taught Bible study fellowship. So I am used to a pretty intense ministry schedule, mm-hmm. and I do... Uh, love serving the Lord. I, I love it. And he's just given me the drive and the desire to want to do that. Cool. That's amazing. So here's how this works. And for people listening to, this is your testimony. You can share as little of it or as much as, it, as you want. I'm going to, you know, listen and cut you off when I have a question. I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just, I got to cut you off. If I have a question Thanks for the warning. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but basically you, I, I usually tell people to start with the beginning you know, your childhood growing up and just go from there to when you became a Christian. And then once we get there, then from when you became a Christian to now and uh, we'll see how it goes. So it's all yours. You go ahead. Great. Great. Well, I grew up in a home with three brothers. I was the third in the line of those four kids. And um, it wasn't necessarily a peaceful home. There was a lot of um, arguing, yelling, swearing. Um, There was a sense of con- conditional love. I think my parents, my, my mother had her mother die when she was 14. My dad grew up with an alcoholic father in poverty, really, uh, when I look back and consider his life. And he he was also an alcoholic. So they had a lot of um, baggage. Mm. And then they became parents. And I think they brought some of that. I know they brought some of that into the marriage, mm-hmm. into parenting. And, you know, they were doing the best they could, but I always felt um, unloved, and I always felt like I really didn't belong, like I couldn't wait to leave, even as a young child, which sounds ridiculous because a child loves their home, wants to be in that secure place. But well, I, I guess it, I wasn't secure. I don't know. Yeah. When you say unloved, do you mean like... Like people, like your family didn't talk to you or like, what does that mean? Like it was an, it was an, um, conditional love. Okay. I, I think that if we, if I asked them, do you love me? They would say, well, well, of course, Yeah. you know, because they're supposed to love me. Right. right? Um, but I always felt like 
it was conditioned on how I looked, what mm. I did, um, how I made them look good. Yeah, that was huge in their life. When if they they would always take the good that any of us kids were doing and talk about that and have that reflect on them. Um, so that really kind of messes with the kid. Yeah, uh, that tells them I'm loved conditionally, mm-hmm. and they'd never compliment me to my face, but then they would to an outsider. So. Yeah. Uh, all of those discrepancies left mm. me feeling very insecure in the family and um, looking for an out. And I had three brothers, and they were kind of hellions, as we mm. used to call them years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm 67, by the way. Um, these boys, I tell you, they had fast cars. They were always into trouble, drinking, speeding tickets. Mm. Um Drugs weren't big back then, but if had been, I'm sure that would have been part of the family history. And then I would hear them, my parents yelling and screaming at them, and I just wanted to like crawl on my belly out the door. I couldn't take the conflict, constant conflict in my home. And even between my parents, there would be arguing, and um, it just made me so uncomfortable. I'm a peace-loving person, and it was was a hard environment to, to... make my way through as a child you know with a child's skill uh, yeah. you don't have a lot of emotional or uh, intellectual skill to know how to deal with these um, huge emotional issues sure. uh, and so I I really um, thought to myself that I as soon as I can mm-hmm. I'm gonna leave I, I really wanted to flee yeah that in kind of environment so um, I was probably 12 years old, and um, I had an older brother who uh, sexually abused me multiple times during this period as well, which also made me want to flee. Hmm. And during that time, I was so struck with fear and just in shock mm-hmm. of what was happening to me. Uh, I knew it was absolutely wrong. Um, It took a couple of times before I had the courage to go tell my parents what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I did tell them. My dad threatened my brother, but there was no care for me after that. Um, Nothing. Hmm. Um, They didn't even give me a lock for my door. Yeah. And I needed a lock. Sure. So I would set up booby traps. So if he did come in, I would hear him. Yeah. And um, that's a terrible way to live. And I lived that way for five years or more, um, five or six years, until he left the house um, before I could be at peace when I slept at night. Again, that's trauma. I mean, I look back now, I said, how did I even manage to wake up in the morning? I mean, I'm surprised um, it didn't do greater damage. But I think what happened here is the Lord was, even though I wasn't a you know, a believer. I, I was going to church and I was attracted to the church and to Christ. But I think what happened here is he just kind of put his hand over me and I and I didn't have to deal with it at that point. Hmm. And um, he protected me. I didn't talk about it to anybody. Um, uh, and then I, um, when I was dating my husband, I told him what had happened. And uh, so he knew, but he was just one of the very few people that knew. Sure. Um, my brother was never helped or confronted as well yeah. by my parents. It just, you know, in those days, everything was swept under the rug, as they used to say. Yeah. It, you hide these family secrets. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, my family 
was loaded with family secrets. And mm -hmm. little did I know that was just one of the family secrets mm -hmm. that was there. So I, I, I stayed a little bit connected to the church and to Christ. I went through a pre-baptismal class. It was a Baptist church. In and like, when you were in like high school or? Uh, uh, no, actually more middle school. Okay, gotcha. And um, right about the same time all this was happening. Yeah. And so I, I memorized scripture. I, I, I would felt so drawn to it and I was baptized and at that point gave a confession of faith but then those teenage years hit mm -hmm. and I kind of just was out of here yeah um, uh, it, high school hit and I, I started dating and um, just kind of go in the wrong direction with my life at that point mm -hmm. and stopped going to church yeah and here I was this hurting young woman yeah. Um, I was very vulnerable to a lot of things. And mm -hmm. um, so high school was kind of a dark time for me. Sure. Um, I never felt affirmed in anything that I did. I thought I was dumb, mm -hmm. ugly, and, you know, I just, I had no confidence at all, none. Mm -hmm. I was very insecure. And part of that was just this undermining that went on at home there was no, nothing there to feed me and to make me feel good about who I was mm -hmm. and my parents were really not believers I think they 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 confessed that they believed in Christ but I didn't see it lived out yeah so again there's more confusion yeah there's more um yeah, like things what, that what I got to work through right like what does it mean to be a Christian and right it's like that is right confusing. that didn't make sense to me yeah um they would show up for church and then tell their neighbors that they're you know, an usher at church and kind of brag about the good things they were doing. Yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely, they were probably raised under a works-based theology, which mm. means that yeah. you have to do certain things in order to have God like you. Yeah. And I think that that, and they, they kind of transferred that into our family, raising the children that they had to, we had to do certain deeds in order for them to mm. even acknowledge uh, anything good in us. So, um, you know, it all goes back again to that relationship with the Lord. When that's not there and you don't understand what the Bible says, you are going to go off on the wrong direction. You're just going to be going by instinct when you're parenting mm -hmm. or uh, trying to have relationships. It, it's you're, you're really in the dark yeah. as far as how to do that right. and how to do it well and how to uh, be healthy yourself emotionally, spiritually, yeah. even physically. Uh, without the Lord, I... I wouldn't, I couldn't have recovered from even sure. just that. Do you think, so I think this is something that, I mean, I've struggled with in my life where it's like, you know, my parents were great, but there was this almost performance-based love in my family as well, where if like, if you didn't exceed at like sports or other things that you're not, nobody's going to tell you anything, like we're not proud of you or anything like that. So do you think that, and maybe we're jumping ahead and you can tell me like, no, I'm going to get to that, but that your how you you in your relationship with your parents was kind of works based or performance based did that end up like carrying over to how you viewed god later on or how you viewed god just throughout your life you know um yes that was something i really had to confront mm -hmm. and but it wasn't until i was in my 40s before i had to confront that yeah um, interesting that that was confronted in my early 40s and so was the sexual abuse mm -hmm. i I, you know, so, okay, I left you off with um, getting married at age 20, which yeah. was young. Right. My husband was right. 23. 
Um, but we've had a wonderful marriage, and uh, he's a godly man and was a great father and husband. He still is, of course, and <laughs> yeah. um, grandfather now. And um, so that was a real stabilizer for me. Yeah. He loved me mm-hmm. unconditionally. It was the first time I experienced that. His family, his mom, mm. I tell you, I just still miss her so much. She's been dead 25 years. Yeah. Mm. She's been dead a long time. She died young of cancer in her yeah. early 60s. But anyway, she just scooped me up, mm-hmm. loved me, praised me for whatever I did. Mm-hmm. She'd come home from our ho- house, and she'd call me and just say what a great job I did cooking or whatever I did, mm-hmm. always complimenting what kind of mom I was. So I felt unconditional love there, yeah. and I saw the difference, which really made me m- even more angry with my family. Yeah. Truthfully, I felt anger when yeah. I experienced the real thing. Yeah. Then I realized, wow. And she was a Bible teacher. They were sure. a godly family. Uh, in fact, my husband's dad dad is a well, was a Greek Orthodox priest. Mm-hmm. And so coming into that home where Christ was supreme, yeah, was so impactful. And the love and the way they lived and it it really got my attention. And at the same time, I was working at the Sports and Health Club here in Minnesota. I don't know Uh if you ever remember that club, but um, I was working there, and there was a woman I was working with named Merle, and Merle would put up Bible verses all over. She was Mm -hmm. the mouthpiece of Christ, (laughs) and you you couldn't be around Merle and not hear about the Lord or hear Uh the gospel and even ask you to receive Christ. So I'm standing by the water fountain, you know, um, one afternoon with her, and and I kept hearing her use the word born again. And I looked at her. I come from Baptist background. I should have known what that. I didn't, had yeah. no clue. I said, what exactly does born again mean? Yeah. I mean, talk about easy picking fruit right yeah. there, right? right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. She you, was probably you, like, oh, oh yes, this oh, is my yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Finally, somebody's yeah. asking me mm-hmm. the question. Um, and so she explained it to me. And I remember driving home from work. And I went into um, our home. And we had this big picture of Christ on the wall and that used to be his grandparents. And I f- just fell down in front of it and just wept. And I confessed every sin I could think of for as far back as I could think of up mm. to today. And I, I wept and I wept. And really what I was what was happening here, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was repenting. Yeah, yeah. To come into a, a sincere relationship with Christ, that's part of what he does for you. Again, it's a, it's a movement of the Holy Spirit. It can't be of the flesh or just your own power. Mm-hmm. It was truly the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. kept bringing things to mind, and I kept confessing and confessing and confessing. And when I rose to my feet, I, I was a new person. Yeah. I was a new person. It was a dramatic conversion. Yeah. Um, Paul and I were married at the time. It was their first year of marriage, and... It, things really started to change with my change yeah. in my faith. And um, at Merle, at work, she wanted to disciple me a little bit. So she mm-hmm. said, read the Bible five minutes a day mm-hmm. and then pray for a couple of minutes. So um, she talked about having your seven up. You spend three and a half minutes reading and then so many minutes in prayer, but it's yeah. seven minute total. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. So that's when I started reading the Bible. And yeah. I, I have missed very few days in my life since that time. Yeah. Every year I read the Bible through, wow. one-year Bible. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that just keeps me grounded, keeps yeah. me not just focusing on the Scripture passages that I like, 
uh, that I keep mm -hmm. turning to that are mm -hmm. faves, you know, but yeah. it forces me to see all of who God is. Yeah. It forces me to know all of the truth, not chosen truth. Yeah. So that habit at starting at age 20 has uh, been so significant in my life. Yeah. And I, I have always encouraged other young believers, you've got to get in the scriptures. Well, that's like, that's encouraging to hear because I, I'm thinking about like my generation is like, a, I think all young people generally. Are you Generation Z? I'm Gen Z. Okay. 21. I just we're, was we're, listening to you on the radio uh, <laughs> as yeah. just listening to what, what uh, character traits you have. Yeah, we, we are. There's a, so, well, one thing is that I think. A lot of young Christians and people my age right now are so obsessed with trying to make themselves feel good in Scripture. Like they'll like kind of what you said is like yeah. you read the whole Bible, regardless of if you hate the part that you're reading. Yeah, and that's it's. I think it's really encouraging to hear that because I think a lot of young people need to hear that because it's, you know, I've even struggled with that where it's like. I don't want to read that part like because I know that God's going to be like, Andy, you got to stop being an idiot in this area of your life. If I read that, it's going to be right in my face. <laughs> Convicting. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't yeah. want to feel convicted because it feels bad. But it, but um, but I just I, I think it's great that you said that you're like, I read through the whole Bible. I read through the whole Bible every year. And I'm like, every year, maybe I should start reading through you the know, whole Bible. You know, my grandkids ask me, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, how many? They call me Yaya. How many mm -hmm. times have you read the Bible? I said, oh, my goodness, maybe 40 times. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah, um, I I read it all the time, and plus, then I study scripture. I don't just sure. read it. Yeah, and you know, when you read it, you're not going to understand everything, mm -hmm. but you're going to understand enough to have life transformation. Sure, sure, totally. And I think that then, right? I think the the studying of scripture is so important because we also don't understand Greek and he like we speak English, and it was written in a different language. And there's so many like beautiful parts of scripture that. When you're reading it in English, yeah, you're going to get great stuff out of it regardless. But when you start to study the Greek and the Hebrew, you start to realize that this is like a this is like a transcendent, incredible piece of literature that is just amazing. So It doesn't have yeah. a bottom. Right, exactly. You can always dig deeper and yeah. deeper and deeper. I've taught books of the Bible five, six, seven times in Bible mm -hmm. Study Fellowship where we take it a little chunk every week for 32 weeks. Yeah. And even, even after I've taught that, for 32 weeks, I can go back and I will find new things the next time I teach it and yeah. more new things and go deeper with the word and things will pop out at me that I never noticed before. Yeah. So the scriptures are different from reading a novel or yeah. something like, or even a textbook. Right. It has a spiritual quality to it yeah. that nothing else does. Totally. And it's alive. Like it's alive. It's I mean, living. That's it's amazing. God's yeah. living right. word. It is. For sure. Um, Genesis, the Old Testament, speaks to us as much as the New Testament mm -hmm. does. Jesus is central in the Old Testament as much as yeah. he is in the New Testament. And just a quick reading of the Old Testament, you won't agree with that. But when you caref mm -hmm. carefully study it, you're going to see there's a, a golden thread, a yeah. meta-narrative, they call that, all the mm -hmm. way through Genesis to Revelation. Sure. And the yeah. meta-narrative is redemption. Mm -hmm and God's redemptive plan for humanity after yeah. they fell in the right. garden. And God, his redemptive plan was to bring a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read about him preparing a special people to bring this Messiah into the world. He comes, he, he teaches, he dies, he rises again, and he ascends into heaven. He is uh, one of the Trinity, he's God, he is the yeah. son of God. He is all-powerful. He has all the same qualities as mm -hmm. God. 
he is, um, you know, they're one in essence, yeah. Father, Son, and we can talk about the Holy Spirit maybe a little later, sure. but yeah. Well, it's funny, my my grandma started listening to the Old Testament, and she grew up Catholic, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but she started listening through the Old Testament, and she's telling me in my my family, she's like, man, like the Israelites, they're so stupid. They like keep messing everything up. They keep ruining everything. And I'm like, that, that's you. Like that's the represent, like that's rep- representation of me and you. And it's, and, but like a lot of people like look at the old Testament and they're like, I don't want to read that. Like that's like blood and gore. And like, God looks yeah. mean and angry. It's like the entire, the entirety of scripture is all built uh, on like the truth of Jesus. And if you're going, you can't have one Testament without the other kind of thing. So that's it it. the Old Testament is our spiritual history, right? Yeah. We need to understand that because it sets us up to understand Christ and what he did for us. Hmm. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to understand yeah. what it means to, to be predestined or yeah. chosen as the yeah. Israelites were predestined mm-hmm. and chosen to be his people, even though they, they messed up big time. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of describes me. I'm yeah. chosen. I'm predestined for Christ. Um, and yet I mess up. Big time. Yeah. Right. And it, it doesn't, I mean, you can't understand the, why is Jesus even important? If the, in, if the, you know, if you ignore the old Testament, you kind of like, why is Jesus important to these people? Why is the the coming Messiah important? Like the prophecy beforehand, it all accumulates into who Jesus is and then what he accomplished. I think it's incredible. Yeah, it's it is. Great. And and God gave Israel a, a a way to approach Him before Christ came, and mm-hmm. that way was through sacrifice. Sure. And that was the perfect setup for introducing a Messiah mm-hmm. that would be the perfect sacrifice. Absolutely. So yeah. you look at all that sacrificial system and you go, oh, who cares? Why is this realm? This is right. just ridiculous. It's so archaic. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. of that, all of it mm-hmm. points to Christ. Right. Right. There has to be a sacrifice. I feel like we could talk about this all day. Yes, we could. But we got to go back to your testimony. You want to get back, back into testimony. my life? Okay. We got to go back into your life. No, dif- no yeah. trying to get rid of that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's always hard to talk about yourself, but it's important mm-hmm. to share what God has done. Yeah. No, so many people have been, I mean, I've had people reach out to me after listening to some of these testimonies, you know, I've had Reagan on and I've done mine and some other people and they're extremely encouraged. And it's one thing, one of the reasons why I started this was I feel like in the church, sometimes we don't tell our story. Like what did Jesus do in my life and why am I here? And like, when I hear it, every time I do one of these, I get to sit across from somebody like you. And after I'm done, I'm always like, this is amazing. Like I want to go out and like spread the gospel even more after I hear that because there's so much encouragement you can get out of it. So you can continue, but yeah, it's true. So I kind of left us when I received the Lord, I repented. Remember the crying in front of the picture of Christ. And, and then I, that's when I started reading the Bible. That's kind of where we left off. Mm -hmm. And then I went into some really busy years, you know, having three kids and, we were trying to, you know, make a living, mm-hmm. and I was not working after uh, the children were born. I stayed home with them, and so we were very, we were striving materially. I would say at this mm-hmm. point in our marriage and our lives, um, we, we were, you know, we wanted that nice big house, so we got a house in Edina. Mm-hmm. Then we wanted a boat on Minnetonka, so we got the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet we were not a hundred percent all in with the Lord. Sure. We kind of had a foot in the world and a foot in the church Hmm. and we uh, weren't really growing. My husband grew up as a Christian and and he had a faith and I had a faith and Hmm. I was reading my Bible. I was raising the kids in the church and teaching them about the Lord, reading scripture to them. 
But then um, at age 29, I was pregnant with our third one, someone invited me to Bible study fellowship. Hmm. This is a huge turning point in my life. Yeah. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to study it week by week by week. So is a Bible study fellowship. I, what is it? All right. So what this is, it's an international non-denominational Bible study mm-hmm. where they go into different kind, different denominational churches and they teach this Bible class. They now have 10 um, years of study that they offer. So you get through most of the Bible there nice. uh, just a, a year at a time. And when I started, it was only five years. Yeah. But I started and I stayed 36 years in Bible study fellowship. <laughs> If you would have told me that when I walked in the door that day, I would have been out of there. Yeah. Out of there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was enough for me just to try to get my lesson done, and I was spotty with my attendance, and Mm. God did something that year in my life. He, um, I was leaving there one day, and I just, I didn't hear a voice, but I just felt God was saying to me, when are you going to take me seriously? Mm. When? I almost crashed my car. It was so uh, blunt and so to the point, and I knew it was truth. And I, I again, I just felt so terrible. I had to confess my, you know, my lukewarmness really towards yeah. him and my trying to live the worldly life and yet trying to fit him in too. And um, I had a real change of heart. I really feel I was. Um, refilled with the Holy Spirit in a really a mighty way because all of a sudden I started reading every Christian classic book I could get my hands on. I was doing my lessons and studying the scriptures like I couldn't believe. I was, I was sharing with others Mm -hmm. like I had never done. I, um, I just couldn't get enough, enough. And then during, um, one of the summers when I was a student in Bible study fellowship, some of us just didn't want it to stop because mm-hmm. it stopped for 12 to 14 weeks. And so we said, well, let's get together in the summer, all of us. So we did. We had a group of about eight or 10 of us and everybody said, who's going to lead? Who's going to lead? Who's going to lead? And I didn't want to lead. And so I told the woman, this Merle, who led me to the Lord, I said, yeah, we really need a leader. She goes, you do it. I, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to remember my self-confidence and my self-image was really poor, yeah. super poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I can't do that. I'm not going to lead all these women. Yeah. Are you kidding? I don't, <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not a leader. She said, just do it. So I did. I said, mm-hmm. okay, all right, nobody else will. I will. Mm-hmm. I'll lead it. And so we did that one summer. The next summer, I felt led to write my own material. Hmm. So it went from like eight or 10 to about 25. The next summer, it went to about 40. The next summer, we were up to 80, and we had to go into a church for this 12-week summer study. And again, I was writing the lessons. And I had a feeling this was just preparation, growing me little baby steps at a time to be able to speak in front of other people and to to teach. And um, so... At, at, a, at that point, I was asked to be the teaching leader at the Bible Study Fellowship class that I was leading. I did a year of just leading a small group, and then I did—I was a, an assistant to the teacher, and then the mm-hmm. following year, 
I was the teacher. Sure. And I, I followed a woman who was a great Bible teacher mm. and had been there for some 14 years. So um, anyway, I went to Texas where headquarters is for San, uh, in San Antonio for uh, my training and came home and started teaching the Bible. And I had three young kids. Mm. They were all in elementary school. In fact, the one, our youngest, was in kindergarten the first year I started. Wow. So this was a 30 to 50-hour job a week. It was wow. a large class, 500 women, and I had to recruit all the leadership, get ready to teach for, I almost taught for almost an hour in those early years, 55 minutes. Mm. And then it went down to 45. And then the years before I left, um, which I left like two years ago, it was mm. down to 30 because yeah. people have a shorter attention span. But um, that's Oh, so you like, it like went down as time went on just because people couldn't pay attention? That's what they thought. Yeah. That is so annoying to me. Like, <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, that's the one thing that I cannot stand about my generation. And like, we have such low attention. It's, it's honestly pathetic to me. I don't, I just, little rant there. How, how, how so, come? Why do you think? Well, I mean, I think it has to do with technology. Like, I think that, it, so the way that I look at it is like, okay, a hundred years ago, if people wanted entertainment, you read a book or you go watch like a musical or a play or you have a conversation with somebody, okay? Then came radio and then you started to get segments of information and segments of like, okay, so you have an hour long radio show and then you got TV and then you and then the segment went down from an hour to a 30 minute segment uh, TV show. And then and then those TV shows, you know, were cut into, you know, we, we did the 30 minute to 25 minute all the way up until like the internet came and then social media came and that went down and YouTube came, went down to like 10 minute segments and then, and then Instagram and like Snapchat and that's down to like, you know, five minutes. And then now like TikTok, the, the newest one is down to like 30 minutes to 60 second segments of information. And people are being programmed to think that this is how you take in information and you can't take in any valuable information in only 30 seconds like. sound bites exactly like. sound bites you can with no reference you can take things totally out of context absolutely with, if you don't have that kind of reference but um yeah it is it's it is too bad because i think we're really cheating ourselves mm -hmm. um you know sometimes i'm re like right now i'm reading a book um and it's it's challenging to my thinking and i like right. that yeah, I, I want something that I have to read slowly and underline and yeah. think about it and learn a few new words. I mean, so often we just want pablum. We just want, you know, mm -hmm. little mushy mm -hmm. oatmeal that we can easily flush right. down. We don't want to have to work for our information yeah. and to really study and to get different sources and things like that. We just, you know, take the uh, the one minute line yeah. that we get on wherever yeah. media. And that's we think that's truth. Well, I feel like that that mindset is starting to, well, ha I mean, for the last like 20 or 30 years, it started to really get into the church and into our understanding of scripture. And we want scripture to be like a one-liner. And it's like, we want the gospel to be a one-liner. And, and, and honestly, when I'm thinking about that, it's like, that's almost like an insult to God and his complexity as the creator of the universe. To think that he would create something so stupid and dumb that it could be um, encapsulated into a one-liner is is like insulting. Like that's not the God that we worship. He's bigger than that. And so, it, I think yeah. I don't know. Like, I how how would you see people like growing their attention span? I always think like just read books and stuff and try to. I think reading again rather than on your computer. Even I would get yeah. a book in your hand. Yeah. And um, read something that would challenge your thinking. Mm. And uh, 
you know, listen to like this podcast, listen to it longer podcasts mm. and try to really give it your full attention. Take notes, be yeah. a student. You have to be a student of a lot of these complex social issues. Sure. And I find people just get their little soundbite mm -hmm. and, you know, they've dedicated their whole world to <laughs> their whole yeah. life to this soundbite. Yeah. And they don't realize how foolish that is. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've got a brain. Use it. Right. <laughs> and I think I absolutely I'm. A hundred percent agree. We could do yeah. an entire podcast. We could on that. Maybe yeah. we will. Yeah, that's that is a real important point. So anyway, yeah. I'm teaching BSF. I'm trying to raise a family, and um, it, that teaching that Bible study was a very big sacrifice for our family. Yeah, you, you know, it's, I was a working woman at that point, mm -hmm. and a lot of times I would, you know, really work when the kids were at school, so they I, they wouldn't get turned off to religion, as you know, can yeah, happen when sure. somebody's uh, in in ministry full time like that. Yeah. Um, also, I would work after they go to bed, mm -hmm. and I'd always keep my office door open, right. so they could always interrupt me, and I tried always to get to their sporting events, yeah. to do, you know, to to show up. Yeah. I wanted to be sure. a present parent. Yeah. Um, we had a cabin for some years that was very helpful too in drawing our family together. Mm -hmm. So here I am teaching, you know, all those years. I am growing in my faith um, tremendously just because, you know, the teacher has the greatest blessing. I, mm -hmm. I get, you know, 30 pages of material I have to condense down. Mm -hmm. But I know that 30 pages of material, right. it's such a blessing. In fact, yeah. I joke, I always say, the Lord chose me because I had the most to learn. Yeah. It is interesting. It is, is it interesting int because one of the things that I learned when we started this podcast like two years ago was with, so now we do testimonies and then we do concept podcasts. So like what is hell? And right. so it's like, I've, I've realized that when preparing for a lot of these conceptual podcasts, the, like theology ones, it's I'm learning so much just by preparing for it. And so I just, I don't know. I just realized that right. As like somebody who's, kind of pushing that content out as you were teaching that content right you to, to teach it you have to learn it if you don't know the 30 pages then like if somebody asks you a question you have to be prepared for that so well it's mm. true you know i had to you have to study yourself in mm. order to have something significant to share with your audience but mm. then you have to take those 30 pages and you have to decide what's most what's important most, to share yeah. what's the big idea here right. where is christ in this particular yeah. verse what does this say about redemption yeah. so you've got a lot of questions to ask yourself mm. what does my audience need to exactly, hear exactly yeah and and you know listeners when you're just reading your bible ask yourself some good questions like what was the intent of the writer to the original audience mm. that's number one in doing what's called exegesis where you're trying yeah, to get to the meaning of right. scripture so ask that question and then i can't Sorry. That's fine. I just, yeah. That's fine. I thought it, I had it off. I did. I don't know why it came back on. That's fine. Sorry, listeners. That's my um, iPhone yeah. and, my, and my, my watch. So mm -hmm. it's my husband. I hope he doesn't mind. I, did, I silenced him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But anyway, you know, you, that's where you start. You start asking questions of the text. You spend uh -huh. time in the text. Where is God? What does this tell me about God? What is he saying to his people of the day? What does it say to me? And how can I apply these truths then to my life? Uh, very important questions to ask yourself yeah. as you read the Bible. So I would do that every week. I would, and then I would, mm -hmm. uh, at, uh, another step was to read commentary. And I'd do that. Sure, yeah. And then Which I'd, is great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's such a privilege to be able to learn like that. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. um, 
it, it was undeserved. Um, yeah. I can take no credit for mm-hmm. any of the good things that happened when I was teaching um, because I was such an unlikely candidate. Number one, I don't have a seminary degree. Mm-hmm. I never went to college. Mm-hmm. I did have nine months of fashion merchandising, <laughs> whatever oh, that school yeah. was, just took mm-hmm. your money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, um, I didn't have all the qualifications. I literally went from changing deities to, to the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And so this way, I think this is so typical of God. Mm-hmm. He gets all the glory. Yeah. I'm nothing. Yeah. I, I, I can't say, well, I went to seminary for this. I planned yeah. all my life. I da 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 I don't know. I'm a nobody that came out of nowhere, yeah. and, and God has used me. Sure. And I think, you know, so often we can feel so insecure. I haven't, I, I don't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I don't right. have this. But if God calls you, yeah. go for it. Which he has. And I think that it's like, it is interesting because you read scripture and you're like, like, look at all these bums that God picked. To, to like even yeah. like the people who are great like david was still kind of a bum like he murdered somebody and then had all oh, his sex with the dude's wife and then murdered him and it's like this guy's kind of a bum but god picked him and then he chose the 12 disciples who were all kind of bums and, and and like not to say that like getting a theology degree is like bad or anything it's like great some people need it, it but, well yeah and we're thankful for those people yeah. because that's who writes the commentaries exactly. <laughs> and i people yeah. like me need them exactly and <laughs> And, but that's not to say that if you don't have that, that you're insignificant in the kingdom of God, you you still have the ability to do so much. You have no idea of how purposeful and what a difference you can make Mm -hmm. if you, if you don't put your hat in the ring by faith and just Mm -hmm. jump in. I mean, yeah, you're going to mess up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn a lot. Yeah. You're going to grow in that skill. I Mm -hmm. hopefully, um, but that's good. All Mm -hmm. that's, all that's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. But now I'm 40. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And the the kids are growing, and um, I've been teaching for quite a while. I started teaching at 34, and this is when I was, I think, 41. Um, all of a sudden, all those memories of the abuse came mm. flooding flooding back on me. A woman was sharing with me her abuse, and I, all of a sudden, I was I was devastated mm. in my own. And I think what happened there is God's grace had covered me mm-hmm. until then. But now at 41 was time, it was go time to deal with this. Sure. And so um, I, yeah, I ended up going into a really deep depression. Hmm. I went from functioning to the next day I couldn't get out of bed. Hmm. And um, all this started flooding back on me, all the memories. And I became angry. Hmm. I was so depressed. But interestingly enough, now I still taught every Tuesday morning. Hmm. Somehow, God got me ready and pushed me up in that pulpit, hmm. and I was able to teach. But I'd go home, and I I couldn't even go to the grocery store well because sure. I couldn't make a decision. That's what happens in depression. You yeah. you can't make a decision. You are so low energy, and. Everything is so hurtful, and you cry at the, you know, anything. Yeah. Um, it It's a, you are so vulnerable. It's an awful place to be. For sure. And sometimes you don't even recognize it. And sometimes that depression goes into anxiety, where you get anxious about everything. And mm-hmm. I had a little bit of that, too, but mostly mine was on the depressed end of it. It's kind yeah. of the same coin. Depression has anxiety and this lethargic depression on For it. Sure. Uh, so um, I, I was really suffering there and I during that time 
I went to a counselor and really realized what was really happening to me that I I realized that God was asking me now to go through the process of healing hmm. and forgiveness and I questioned like I already forgave that years ago mm-hmm. I've moved on yeah um, but I hadn't yeah and only he knew this and mm. and another thing that I knew was if I didn't get rid of this poison in me he couldn't use me anymore hmm. um, so there I was flat on my back I contacted my parents confronted them about why I wasn't protected how it hurt my life and then I called my brother hmm. the abuser and um, he would never admit it but I do know he went into counseling himself and um, I had to tell him what that cost me hmm. and I, it really was hard on him too to hear that um, uh, and he had a daughter and I told him I said I've worried about your daughter because mm-hmm. you crossed those family lines once sure and so I mean he, he was crushed however he never would admit it he said I can't remember hmm. and I think that that was just because he was afraid of any legal ramifications that might come sure. he he just couldn't admit it mm-hmm. um, but anyway I did confront him confronted my parents I broke off the relationship with both of them for about six months Hmm. while I was getting well so I was seeing a counselor still teaching BSF um, trying to regroup again and I remember the anger seething in me was so foreign to me you know I told you at the beginning I don't like conflict I don't Mm -hmm. like yelling swearing none of that Mm -hmm. it's so distasteful to me because of how I grew up sure what am I doing? I'm yelling mm-hmm. in my depression. I'm so mad. I had so much anger in me. It was a cesspool. Mm-hmm. So it's coming out, yelling, swearing. I told my husband, give me a stack of plates. I want to break every one of them and just <laughs> hear it break. Yeah. Um, just to get rid of this tremendous uh, surge yeah. of angry. And you see, that's how I should have responded. Yeah. But I was, you know, a child. Yeah. What was you, It was like all these years of like this suppressed anger that you think you just kind of just pretended wasn't there. And God was like, I'm going to, I'm going to grow you in your faith to the point where now you have to deal with this. And now you're, now you're having to deal with it, but it's kind of like a whole mess right now. Right. Exactly. It, it, it's like, I didn't know the cesspool was under there, but God did. Yeah. Hmm. But God did. And so he had to go, he had to mine it out. He had to put Mm -hmm. me on my back. Mm -hmm. He had to force me to look at that again. Mm -hmm. No one wants to look at that. Sure. Sorry. I just want to move on, you know, because it's painful. And there's so many uh, situations in life where you just want to move on. You don't want to have to deal with it. But that's really stupid. A lot of people do that with grief. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, put it down that dark hole and never really express it or deal with it and then it backs up on them years later become bitter and hard all kinds of ways it comes out sideways you know um but i really thought this didn't even exist Mm -hmm. but god showed me differently and after about three or four months i'd gone to a counselor i was just about going to take some medication for depression and i started to turn the corner a little bit Hmm. i was functioning better um, I had lost maybe 10, 15 pounds, really thin. And I, I 
started to get my appetite back. I started to be able to do more things. And um, so I didn't, but I would have, let me tell you, I would have, because to stay in that dark place for too long is not good. Because the longer you're there, the harder it is to get out. Yeah. So sometimes well, you need the help of medication, sure. counseling. I mean, to not to get the help that you need is really foolishness and yeah. it's pride. Yeah. I mean, I think so it, it's always interesting to hear from people who have gone through the depression stage and like gotten out on the other side of it because there's so many people my age, like I have like three or four friends off the top of my head right now that are Christians that I can think of who have struggled with depression, suicide. One of them that I know, one of my friends committed suicide a year ago or a year and a half. And, and it's like, it's happening in the church and it doesn't feel like this is actually being talked about so often. And, and a lot of times it's like, well, if you're depressed or if you're feeling like suicidal, then you're looking at God wrong or something like that. And it's like, dude, I mean, like you're, this is, this is where Christianity can become shaming. And if you if you're yeah. depressed, you're having trouble coping with life. Well, why aren't you using your faith? Right. Don't you believe? Right. Uh, yeah. Read here. Here's a verse. Yeah. Right. I mean, honestly, yeah. no verse was going to pull me out yeah. of that. That no verse. As I if, had to go yeah. through this process. Mm-hmm. Right. There's this. There's this thing. That, I mean, right. People will give you. A, they act like um. Like God doesn't use depression. Like, I feel like God, he will go to any means necessary for his children so that they can be on the straight and narrow and that they can healthy, know him. Healthy, right. and exactly. know him and, 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 and see what their life purpose is and get rid of this bad stuff that's mm-hmm. just, it's like, you know, imagine yourself with poop all over you. I yeah. mean, we don't yeah. even realize it's right. there, but it's yeah. stinking up our life and it's complicating yeah. our life, but God wants to give you a bath. Right. And sometimes it takes pain, mm-hmm. it takes putting you in a quiet place of depression, your body is saying something's wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong here. Your spirit is saying something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I just heard coming over here, like I said, that the Z generation is the most depressed generation oh, yeah. of all time. It's not, I mean, it's not even close. Like COVID like, has interrupted everything in their life. Totally. Everything. Yeah. And at a crucial age, a tender age, where you're just starting to come into adulthood, mm-hmm. feel your spread your wings, mm-hmm. and everything was shut down. And that age group, especially, we all need socialization, mm-hmm. but that age group, that's their sure. life and breath. Yeah. And then you cut them off from each other. Yeah. And not even to mention, like, and I brought this up in an earlier podcast, like my generation has experienced some of the highest um, divorce rates or even parents who aren't getting married. And they've grown up in two-parent um, homes. There's like... Um, I think in 2012, over 50% of teenagers had smartphones and you see a rise in depression. You see a rise in like teen suicide rates, like self-harm, all these things. And it's like, like, it's not, it's not necessarily the social media or the phone's fault, but like, yeah, my generation is empty and they're like this, like suicide depression thing. I think it's gotta be talked about, but not just in a way that the world talks about it where it's like try try to fix um, mental health by basically just convincing yourself that you I don't even know what their solution is but it's like it's through Jesus and his redemption and understanding your sin that you get out of something like this yeah so. yeah but you know what a lot of people reject that because Absolutely. that was of their parents age sure. and they want to look for something new and exciting and right. I went through a period like that yeah. where I wanted something new and exciting and I turned my back on Christianity 
in mm. my late teens and was looking into all kinds of new agey oh, stuff yeah. and all that garbage mm -hmm. did nothing for me yeah. and i realized that was just me again searching for god mm -hmm. and there was not a god to be found in sure. any of that and it was a bunch of just strange thoughts and mm -hmm. people but i think what people need today your generation mm -hmm. especially is real relationships oh yeah i do give real relationships mm -hmm. another chance i mm -hmm. mean when i see friends young girls young men walking on the street and they're all looking at their phone why aren't they talking to each other <laughs> I know. talk to each other mm -hmm. i mean where are your social skills you're not developing them and if no. you want to be successful in life that still matters yeah that's true 100 percent. and also i want to say because i think it's a two-sided thing because it's like i 100 percent agree with you my generation has horrible social skills we're always on our phones and it's just a disaster but i think that there's two sides of it especially and I, i'm talking about in the church because outside of outside of christianity i'm not talking to those people this is a theology podcast so we're in the church i do think that it does come down to this though is that young people because we don't know you know we don't have these social skills we don't know what to do. Like, we don't even know where to start. And I, I always talk about discipleship. And I'm like, older people, there needs to be an intergenerational discipleship. Older, wiser people need to disciple younger, stupid people in the church. That's just how it's got to be. And the problem is when I tell older people that is they're like, well, young people, they don't want it. They're not going to listen to me. They don't want to hang out with me, blah, blah, blah. Like so, every excuse in the book. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They want to to have a relationship with older people because they don't, they don't even have a good relationship with their parents. They long for that. Yeah. And so older people, I'm sorry, but like you got to get off your butt and start talking to these younger people because they might never initiate the conversation. But if you do like that could change someone's life and yeah. that's, so it's a, it's a two-sided thing. It, it really is. And you are on a hot topic for me because yeah. I've done lots of mentoring over the years. Oh, yeah. I have, um, I have a, I wrote a book actually on, on mentoring young women, mm -hmm. how to do that. And I take them through all the life skills of how to do a quiet time, how to witness, how mm -hmm. to, how to study the Bible, how to do a homiletic, how to uh, share your faith, how, how to, um, have community, mm -hmm. how to have a prayer life, all these basics. Yeah. And th they came, there was 10 of them. I did started this when I was 50. I felt this need to start mentoring. I was doing that at the Bible study too, because sure. lots of young women there, but not as hands-on. Yeah. So I had a group of 10 really young, sharp women that I, cho I chose them mm -hmm. and asked them to join the group. And we went th through all these different topics and that's what birthed that book. Yeah. And uh, honestly, they still get together. I mean, the community there and mm -hmm. the the desire they had to be taken under somebody's wing mm -hmm. who's just you know 15 years mm -hmm. ahead of them or so 20 and and teach them these spiritual things and how i live it in my life let mm -hmm. them see my life one night i had my son come in and say ask him any questions yeah and they you know we're asking him hard questions like did you ever get mad at your mom for like doing all this bible study and he said no yeah. i knew what she was doing um, so, I mean, life on life, it was yeah. a lot of life on life and we did yeah. a few little retreats, things right. like that. We still get together occasionally I mean, and I had many groups like that. And plus I do one-on-one. Sure. On one. Yeah. I mean, my, you, the older people, you guys have, you've lived a life. And so it's like, I'm as a younger person trying to figure out how to do that myself. And if I try to figure out within my own mind and my own soul, how to live life, I am 
naturally going to do it in the most sinful way possible because that's my nature and, and I need people and to, easiest and it's the easiest way to do it. Right. I right. need people to tell <laughs> yeah. me, Andy, like people who listen to this podcast, they know on this podcast, Nick has told me like, Andy, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so I'm like, I got it. Then I have to reshape how I'm thinking and yeah. stuff like that. And it's like, that's just how, how I kind of, how it works as a young person, you have to be able to be like, I'm probably going to be wrong about a lot of stuff, but if I'm willing to be wrong in my twenties and thirties, then maybe when I'm 40 and 50, I'll be ready to lead the church when the next generation is gone. And that's, that's what we should be looking forward to is leading the church, leading the charge and getting people into the kingdom of heaven. Right. But you have to be teachable and you yeah. have to put aside that pride that you know it all yeah. because tendency when you're youth, you think you do know it all. Mm -hmm. You don't realize your need. You're kind of unusual that you, you realize you have a, a real need for that. And I would hope that more and more people because they're feeling so empty would, mm -hmm. would want that need yeah. met with um, someone sitting down with them and really totally. caring about their spiritual life and challenging to take them to the next level right. and um, you know speaking into their life in mm -hmm. any way that they possibly can yeah. is such a blessing. Yeah, I, I never had a mentor. Yeah, I had a lot of women that I watched from afar, mm -hmm. especially my mother-in-law, yeah. who was a Bible teacher, and I saw how she lived. I heard her teach. Um, she was the one who gave me my first opportunity to teach. Sure foolish woman um it was on the passage of divorce in matthew oh my. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know little mm. did i know the lamb to the slaughter mm -hmm. um but i learned so much you know you gotta let us older folks also have to let younger people take on some roles of responsibility mm. in order to grow them mm. and let them try out their wings you see somebody with teaching ability encourage them to get in a place where they could mm. teach here and there see mm. test it out if God is going to use them in that way. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, you kind of talked about a little bit, but the forgiveness aspect between you and your brother. I thought that when I was listening to you talk to my aunt on her <clears throat> podcast, yeah. that was the part that just struck me the most. And so you can share about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I did mention I confronted him and we had a break in the relationship for quite a while. Mm -hmm. But I did go through the process of forgiveness and I knew that God was asking me to do that and um, I don't even remember all the details of it but in the meantime he he found Christ mm -hmm. he became a Christian wow. through the suffering of this as well mm -hmm. and um, it kind of brought us back together you know slowly at a family reunion and this and that now I'll never stay in his home mm-hmm you have to have boundaries with people. Sure. I couldn't be comfortable. Um, however, they come to see us here in the Twin Cities um, once or twice a year. We mm -hmm. see them. And in fact, I'm going to be seeing him in another week or two with two of my other brothers. We're going to get together nice. in Sioux Falls. Yeah, so that'll be nice. So we do gather together now. Um, we've talked, we talk about scripture when we're mm -hmm. together now. Um, I saw my brother crying over scripture. So he, he's a changed man. Mm. And I was really, the Lord just took all the bitterness and anger out of me. Yeah. And I was able to say, you know, I forgive you. Yeah. Now today, we have, um, I think, a really good relationship. A really good relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought that was so important when you talked about it because I was, 
I'm I'm thinking about people. I mean, that's such an intense situation. It is. Like like you're molested as a child. Yeah. And I bet most people even in the church would be like you know, like you, you don't talk to him, don't deal with him. Right. Leave him in the past. Cut and him out of your life, right? That's r- exactly. the easy road. Just you think exactly. it's the easy road. Right. Cutting people out of your life or canceling them as what's yeah. referred to today sure. is not the easy road right. because it creates a tension in you. Mm-hmm. There's a tension there yeah. that is unresolved. Sure. And you will not have peace right. if you've got unforgiveness in your life. And, and how again, can you... it can come out sideways, you exactly. know? Exactly. How can you expect Christ to forgive you when you can't forgive others? Well, there's there's a verse for that. Yeah. You know that. Right. Yeah. That he says, mm-hmm. if you do not forgive others, I will not forgive you. Yeah. What does that mean exactly? Exactly that means that if you've really experienced mm-hmm. the forgiveness of Christ, mm-hmm. you will be willing to forgive others. Yeah. If you are unwilling to forgive others, you have to question yourself. Have mm-hmm. I really received Christ's forgiveness for my sin. You have Mm -hmm. to see the ugliness of your own sin and know that Christ, the all holy one, the the perfect one, Mm -hmm. loves you and forgives you. How can you withhold that for your brother? Totally. You know, or Mm -hmm. whoever. You can't. Mm -hmm. You you just it's not right. It is and it's a it's a it's a plague in our souls if we acknowledge it or not. Right. I'm thinking about like the only person in the history of the entire world who had the opportunity to like quote unquote like cancel anybody or to leave anybody in the past was Jesus. He 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 would rightfully be able to cancel anybody and be like, I am never gonna talk to you guys again. You guys are messed up. And he could have done that to any one of us and he chose not to. And so for us to follow Christ and to have Christ within us. It's not only like an obligation, but it should be like a privilege to be able to have the ability to forgive others as well. Right. And I just thought it like that was what hit struck me so hard when I was listening to you talk because I'm like, oh man, like there like there's people who've done like little things to me and I haven't even talked to them. And I'm like, dude, like you did you did that. And that's like obviously it wasn't you, it was Christ in you that did it. But it's like holy crap, I gotta get my I gotta get my crap together because I mean that's like we just have to be. I need to have a better. Um, mindset towards forgiveness and i think that it's so easy as people and human beings to just kind of be like yeah i was saved and i was forgiven um by christ but like i'm just going to go on and live the rest of my life the way that i want to and and you can't do that and you know the forgiveness is is not always in fact most of the time it's not a one-time thing oh yeah um i had issues with my parents too and i found i had to continually forgive sure and just receive them accept them the way they were Mm -hmm. and all i could control was how i would respond to them right and i had to constantly be going through forgiveness and um because it keeps creeping back right Mm -hmm. it wants to creep Mm -hmm. back not always sometimes it's forgiven and i really feel like with my brother i've really moved on yeah um uh but with my parents you know they're both gone now but i going back home to South Dakota to see them and the, the visits and it just everything I became so irritated about a lot of things mm. on how I grew up and how I was continued to be treated and how they were looking at my kids and I I just had to keep forgiving and forgiving and trying to honor them as my parents yeah. and um, all I could do was create my reaction and I prayed constantly Lord yeah. love them through me mm-hmm. I can't do it I am so hardened towards them, mm-hmm. love them through me. And that mm-hmm. really, at, in the later years, really started to set me free. Yeah. 
because when you allow God to love through you, it starts to change that hardness of heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's these practices that you have to do for keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, even when you don't want to, because I think through the discipline and practice of following God's word and those things like forgiveness over time, it'll chip away at your hard heart. And then you'll, I mean, one day you'll be able to forgive more easily than you were 10 years, than you were able to yeah. 10 years ago. Right. And that's just how sanctification kind of works. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I, recognize that now in myself when I start to get you know a little angry with people or bitter and I realize that's not okay yeah now more than ever it's not okay I it's my problem it's not their problem yeah I can only take care of my problem which Mm. is how I'm responding to them um beware you know beware Mm -hmm. you can get into some pretty ugly ungodly behavior pretty fast yeah for sure, a hundred percent. So now, how are things going? Well, um, three years ago, I had some interesting things happen to me. Um, first of all, I had always suspected that I was probably not my father's child, huh. and certain re- comments relatives made, like one aunt said in front of my mom, "Where did Dolly get those brown eyes?" I was called Dolly. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had brown eyes. Everybody else in my family had blue. Mm-hmm. I also overheard my dad say something, a slanderous remark to my mom about some uh, body shop worker. Mm. And she said, oh, shh, Elvin. You know, just, oh, shh. And then, um, and Paul overheard that too, my husband. And then I had my blood type taken as I was having babies and I had a certain blood type that nobody in my family had Hmm. and I did some genetic research and found out that that would be impossible yeah that those two could produce me and my blood type yeah so I look different and I've got a different blood type Uh what am I to think so I asked my parents at one point I said I have this odd blood type why is that yeah and my dad just looked at my mom and said, why is that? And she left the room. Really? End of discussion. Wow. End of it. But that did answer something for me. Yeah. But then along comes DNA testing, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I'm given a little kit that I spit into. Mm-hmm. And so, um, good. I thought three years ago, I thought, you know, it's time. My parents are all gone. I'm going to do this. Sure. Um, just to confirm it. Because I just always, like I said, I had that unsettled feeling yeah. First of all, when I was in high school, I found out my dad had been married before. And they'd never told me all yeah. those years. He, he had been married like eight years. <laughs> I mean, this is the family secrets yeah. go on behind the scenes. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I did the DNA test, spit into the little tube, got the results back. And I had this long list of first cousins, like really first cousins where, you know, they have numbers that show you how close DNA you are, who are super close. Yeah. I didn't know a single name. And none of the other, my my dad's side, none of those relatives were on there. Now, yeah. a few from my mom's side was, but none sure. of my dad's. Yeah. And he had, you know, three other siblings. Yeah. Nothing was there. 
So um, I started contacting all of these close first cousins, and yeah. it was like a puzzle. Everybody was trying to, these people were so kind to me, trying to help me figure out where I fit into their family. Yeah. And finally, one of this first cousin was so helpful. Um, she, her dad and my real father were brothers. And it was the only possible way that mm. we could have been related. Yeah. And so I figured that he is my father. Harold wow. is my father. Wow. Yeah. So I um, took that information, and then this cousin told me, and you also have two half-brothers. Mm -hmm. And so I called the one half-brother. I didn't know. She didn't know how to get in contact with the other half-brother. So I called him, and we talked a couple of times, and I offered to come Paul and I were going to go out and see him, meet him, um, and just learn a little bit more about my father. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I put the pieces together, and here's what's happened, is my dad was an alcoholic, as I was saying, as his dad was, and their, my parents' marriage was in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And um, my mother had an affair with this man mm -hmm. and became pregnant but they held their marriage together. Yeah. Now I've got a lot of credit to give for them for sure. keeping it together. Yeah. And he really did, as far as love goes, I felt more love from him than ever from my mother. Hmm. But can't you see that? My mother, I was a visible walking her sin yeah. in front of her. Sure. Um, so that wow. explains a lot of her behavior towards me as well. Yeah. So this finding out, you know, at 64 that I've, <laughs> who my real dad is, is kind of shocking. Yeah. But I didn't shed a tear. Sure. I, I really just, you know, life is messy. Abuse, a different father, uh, all these things growing up in kind of a, you know, a, a weak home. Uh, all of that, it's just, it's part of life. Um, I know some people say, aren't you mad at God for just allowing all that to happen to you? What do I deserve? Hmm. I don't deserve anything. What, yeah. I deserve a perfect life? Yeah. What kind of life did Christ have? He right. didn't have a perfect life. People were all over him. <laughs> they were mistreating him. Yeah. They were not believing in him. They crucified him for heaven's sakes. Yeah. You know, what do I expect? I expect in this sinful world to have uh, some kind of a carefree, breeze-through life. And if I don't, I'm going to blame God. Yeah. I, I don't blame God at all. I felt the Lord has been with me through all of this and has helped me to survive it all and not only survive it, but thrive in it, yeah. thrive in it. Hmm. It's it's made me a better Bible teacher, a better mom, mm -hmm. a better wife, because I've had to go through these things and I've seen bad things and I, I, I wanted to break the chain. Yeah. And listeners, you can break the chain. Totally. 100%. I think about like when I'm reading the Bible, especially the New Testament, you see persecution and joy almost are, they're bound together. Like when people are persecuted or when people suffer for Christ, they experience joy. Like the, 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 the um, apostles are like beaten and they like leave and just like praise rejoicing. God. Like they're rejoicing. That they were counted yeah. worthy. Yeah. To be beaten. I mean, that to be was, suffering yeah, for Christ. Exactly. And so, and you weren't like physically beaten, but you were probably emotionally beaten or whatever. Yeah, and it's absolutely. like, that's kind of a mark. That's like um, when you try to live rightly 
in a world that is full of sin, yeah. the result is going to be like messy, very hard. Yeah, it's not it's gonna messy. Be, yeah, it's life here is messy and we all have messiness stuff in our mm-hmm. lives. And I think it's important to speak about it and to speak how God redeems that. Mm-hmm. Um, just look at Joseph in the Bible, the, yeah. in Genesis. Mm-hmm. He was crushed. He was mistreated for years and years. And, um, but yet he gave God all the glory. Yeah. He said, God will interpret this dream, Pharaoh. Right. God will do this. God will do that. And what happened to him? He was raised up mm-hmm. to lead. Yeah. It was all that suffering and all that development of that relationship through those times of suffering mm-hmm. that equipped him to, you know, really save the world in a yeah. world famine at the time. Literally anybody. I mean, you can look anywhere in scripture that uh, people who had to wait, they had to go through this like time period in their life where their God was, you can see God preparing them for what was about to come. Even Jesus in 40 days and 40 nights out in the desert being prepared for what was about to come yeah. in his ministry. And that's like, you don't ever stop being prepared, but I feel like your life as, is a testament to that. Like you're just kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to suffer here. That's just a reality. I'm not going to try to run away from it. I'm going to try to go through it with Christ. And that's right. Right. Awesome. I, I'll never forget a sermon I heard once from my father-in-law. It was called broken to be more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, we are broken in this life. Yeah. And it, it just makes us cling all the harder to Christ. And mm-hmm. I tell you that eternal life looks mighty good to me these yeah. days. It really right. does. It really does. I don't fear death. I, I, I look forward to the release that it's there yeah. is a better life ahead, you know, and um, so that's that's kind of new for me because, yeah. you know, when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you kind of resist the idea of ever thinking about death. But yeah. I would I would die today in great peace. I really yeah. would because I'm right with my Lord. Um, I'm right with my family. Mm-hmm. I'm right with my kids and grandkids, which is so important to me. Mm-hmm. And that gives me peace in my heart. I don't have any of that unforgiveness, that mm-hmm. cesspool yeah. uh, living in me anymore. It was For a sure. painful process, but it was the right thing to do. So, you know, if people are struggling with unforgiveness or depression, I mean, you got to take care of that. And, and God will use it mightily. Don't give up. I, when I hear people committing suicide, I want to grab yeah. their cheeks and want to squeeze them really hard because <laughs> I'm an old lady. And I want to yeah. say... Honey, mm-hmm. nothing's that bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I want to say. Mm-hmm. You are loved. Mm-hmm. You are so unique and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Go with that. Yeah. D- don't let believe the lies. Mm-hmm. Because when you get depression, you are yeah. negative, negative, negative. Mm-hmm. Lies, 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 lies. You're awful. You're this. You're that. You're that. Um, Everything is black. You look at everything, it's got a negative. It's negative. It's negative. And that's depression. That's, I always say, that's depression talking. Mm -hmm. That's not the real you. Yeah. So pay attention to that. It's, it's, it's the darkness that's speaking, not who you you are at your essence, not who God created something very beautiful in you. Mm -hmm. Don't let that go. Yeah. Don't let that go. For sure. I think that's a message that people need to hear more and more. They do. We got to talk about it more because I think that, yeah, like we talked about earlier, it's just kind of been swept under the rug and it's like suicide is a thing, but we're not going to talk about it. Well, now it's on the rise and now more people than ever in my generation are killing themselves at like rapid. It's unbelievable. And the church, you know, in my 
opinion, I think the church should be like running towards that, not running away from it. And we've done in America, I think we've started to run away from it because we don't want to deal with it because it's hard to deal with people who have problems. What would you, <laughs> what would you have the church do? You know, I think in, in, in like, in regards to my generation, I think it's one is discipleship. Like, yeah, I mentioned that several get times. Get off of yes. your butt to the yeah. old people. Like young people, they're so dis- we're so dysfunctional, we're not going to reach out. But once you reach out and say, hey, let's just go get dinner. Like I'll take you out to dinner. Let's just talk. I'll tell me about how your life's going. Just let's just hang out once a week, get dinner, buy dinner for a college student or high school once a week. It's like, you know, nobody's got, no college or high school student is going to give up free food ever, ever. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So, and, and they won't forget it for the rest of their life. They won't forget it. And, and it's like, and then be willing to go the extra mile the way that Christ went the extra mile for, for you. Like remind yourself of the gospel and that Christ died and went the extra mile for you. And so your like your the expectation for you on this planet is that you do that for others. And if you're not willing to sacrifice your time, if you're like, I don't know if I want a disciple or I don't know if I want to talk to this person because I don't have time for this or I don't, I'm going to lose sleep. And it's like, yeah, you might lose sleep on this earth. Like you're going to have eternity to, to do that. Like figure it out later. Yeah. But I think it's like, you know, that's a pretty like general thing that I just said, but I think it's like the, what's, what's the other option? Well, people kill themselves. Yeah. But you know what happens when you get older, you get selfish with your time. Sure. You feel like it's my time to kick back, right. relax. Um, I don't want to take on these messy lives of right. the young people right now. Somebody has uh, a friend of someone has approached me that they feel that I need to be mentoring their friend. Mm. And, um, you know, she just told me a couple of things and I thought, oh, this is messy. Yeah. And I haven't said yes yet because honestly, it's going to take a lot of energy yeah. and time to pour into this person. But, sure. you know, I know God's asking me to do it. Yeah. And, um, but it's going to be inconvenient. Yeah. And that's what this world is, is inconveniences. And that's, I think Piper was given a, a sermon on um, denying yourself, like bearing a cross and denying yourself. And he was like, listen, if somebody offers you 80 years of pain and then eternity of pleasure, like you better hate your life in this world or you're not a Christian hedonist, you're a fool. And like basically the mindset being like on this earth, like you go through the pain so that on the other side is eternal life. Don't be an idiot and and go through if you don't sleep you don't a, sleep is that a verse don't be an idiot <laughs> i don't know i've hey, said it a lot you know what proverbs <laughs> proverbs is filled with fool yeah and uh recently i did a podcast on the biblical ideas of what a fool is yeah. and all the characteristics of a fool yeah. we don't use that word today but that really is a good description of when we forsake god's ways sure. and there's a hundred ways to do that and more uh we become fools yeah fools fools that's yeah yeah. And what podcast that, I mean, you should just plug your podcast right now. What is it? And what? Oh, um, she is becoming. Yeah. And um, you can get it on any of the podcast forums. I'll put a link yeah. in the description. She, and it's this. all one word. She is becoming. She is becoming. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. women's like talking about women's stuff. Right? I uh, mean, maybe no, not. not necessarily. I mean, it's um, I am talking with a, another young woman. Yeah. Delaney, who I sure. work with. And, yeah. ki- you know, we have that kind of relationship where we're mentoring um, back and forth and yeah. she's got real teaching gifts and so this mm-hmm. is really helping to develop her for sure. and it's helping me to mentor and to teach as well it gives mm-hmm. me a platform so yeah. it's a, it's fun to you know she uses words I always have to ask her definitions yeah. and things like that so mm-hmm. um, I have you know kind of the more traditional views and she stretches me and I stretch her so for it's, sure. it's a good thing yeah and yeah. I, I'm doing that now and I'm also um, 
uh, very happy to be able to be at this point where now I'm mentoring other Bible teachers in our church. And I that's how you expand the kingdom, you yeah. know. Uh, so God has shown me a lot of how to teach the Bible over the years. Now I need to take that and pour into, I'm going to be pouring into three younger women mm-hmm. who are learning to teach God's word this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's the a kind of mentoring too, specifically to the development of their For gifts. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. building those people up. Right. That's awesome. Right. Do you have anything... We're about an hour and 20 minutes into it. Wow. Do you have anything? Time flies when we're having fun. <laughs> I know. This is Andy, great. it has been great. I know. I love I love these. We Every could time talk I do all this, day long we to could. tell you the truth. We could do it. We could. <laughs> we could talk all day long. But do you have anything they kind of want to finish with and just like, I don't know, any, any final words of? Yeah. I would say if you're suffering now, God is not out to get you. Hmm. I would say God loves you and you got to reconnect with him. And you will find him to be gracious and with open arms. Mm -hmm. But you got to seek him out. Seek him out. He's calling you. Through your suffering, he's really calling you. Mm -hmm. Another thing I would say is getting God's word. My whole life has been dedicated to the scriptures, teaching them, communicating them, trying to live by them, mentoring with them. Um, You've got to get into the Bible. So maybe you're the one person who needs to hear five minutes a day to start. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're the person that needs a kick in the rear end to get to a, a, a formal Bible study where you've got lessons and you got to think and you got to work. Mm-hmm. Read some good books about scripture. Read mm-hmm. some good books about commentary. I mean, mm-hmm. go all in. Yeah. Go all in. Mm-hmm. Why do you want your life to be less than what God had, has for you? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? It's the richest. In fact, again, another thing I was listening to on the way out here, it was like the richest and the happiest people are those who are not just read the Bible, but actually study the Bible. Yeah. Not only engaged at church, not only engaged with other people, but engaged with the Word of God. Mm-hmm. You want to take your life to a new level of yeah. purpose and joy yeah. and fulfillment? Get into God's Word. Yeah, 100%. The other thing, I think this kind of like wraps up what you just said. is Piper says this as well. He's like, listen, don't just take a dip every morning in the word of God, like you should swim in it every day, swim in the word of God. And I, I love the way that he says That's that. That's a great picture. <laughs> you're just swimming in the word of God. Yeah. You're not just dipping your feet in for five minutes before you go out. No, you, you swim in it. And, and that's what you do. So, okay. This was awesome. I love doing this. So thank you, Andy. We'll, it was a joy. Yeah. We'll have to do another one too. Maybe we can do a topical one in the future where we that can That would be great. Maybe, I would love to get into scripture with you. Let's do it. All that right. would be awesome. Uh, do you want to pray us out? I would. I would love to. Heavenly Father, you know who is listening right now who maybe needs your touch in their life in a powerful way right now. So God, would you touch them, heal them, direct them, give them a new uh, perspective on their life. Show them, Lord, who you are, who Christ is, and give them an unquenchable thirst for yourself and for your word. And may they find Jesus Christ to be perfectly sufficient to forgive, to bless, to empower in order to live this world and in the next with great joy and peace in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. And for everybody listening, make sure to like, subscribe, give a review, listen to She Is Becoming podcast, and make sure to look out for the next podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you guys in the next one. Bye.